Okay, let's continue. Uh, we are doing the lost meanings of the seventh day, and we are uh, particularly focusing on the story of or, or what we can get from what we have called the Sabbath and the Revealer, uh, which uh, is a, a, a sort of maybe a little bit of a deep dive into uh, the Gospel of John and uh, the way the way the Sabbath is represented in in the ministry of Jesus. What what role the Sabbath has in in his uh, his ministry. So we had gotten into into the chapter there in chapter 5 in the Gospel of John. We have read the five first verses. We have seen that there is a place in Jerusalem where there is a, a, kind, of, a kind of concentration of misery uh, around the pool of, of uh, Bethsata. And Jesus seems to gravitate to places like that. That's how I think one might want to read that text that that this is not the first time that he knows that he is there, that there is some awareness of his, on his part that there is such a place, and there he is on a Sabbath morning. And there is a man there who has been, who has been in a state of, of, of grave disability uh, for 38 years. Uh, the disability is grave enough that he needs help to move. We, we can see that I have nobody who can get me into the pool, as he will say here. So now I have asked a, a friend of mine, Kyle Moravsky, who is a senior medical student, to help us illustrate this. So if you wouldn't mind, Kyle, uh, you, will, you will be uh, our patient. <laughs> there, is your, there is your bed. <laughs> and I'd like you to to uh, find a position that looks like a little further back, yes, and you need to wrap yourself in that blanket as best you can. Uh, and, and especially in a sort of, you know, uh, try to uh, have your face only partially exposed, because that's how it was. I was there, I know it. I, I, I have imagined this story. I know exactly how it was. <laughs> so that's pretty good. Now let's read the text. Uh, somebody here volunteer to read the first first part of of uh, verses five, uh, six, and seven. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, "Do you want to be made well?" The sick man answered him, "Sir, I have no one to be cool." The water stood up. While I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Okay, now let's uh, let's imagine this story, and, and we have done this before, and I cannot remember if we have done it in this audience exactly on this story. Have we talked about this story here in this group? Because I have talked about this story on a number of occasions, and I have lost track of where I was. <laughs> but we have talked about the distinction between narrative time and actual time. That we have talked about. That narrative time is the time it takes to tell or read a story. And the first nine verses in chapter 5 in the Gospel of John takes uh, less than a minute to read. Now, that's nar narrative time. I need, uh, so, uh, are you with me on that? Narrative time is very short. It is in, in many ways compressed. So, how does narrative time relate to actual time? That is to say... How long time, what, what length of time transpired uh, in the story that we are reading? What, how long did it take 
in, in, term, in actual terms. So the length of time Jesus actually spent with the paralytic up to this point in the story. I mean, how, how long time do you think it took? So it takes, you know, we read it in less than, in less than a minute, but how long, how, how was it? What actually happened there? You know, so, so here is our, let's see. Uh, so uh, here we go, back to this slide. Jesus saw that he had been there a long time and said to him, do you want to be well? Now try to imagine, you know, what, is, what sort of day is this for the paralytic? It's another day. You know, so does he, does he, is he still hoping to, to, to be healed? After 38 years, does he think it will happen today? Think it will happen today? <laughs> See, so, so the paralytic is, how is he looking? You know, we're, 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 you know, how does Jesus get his attention? You know, and, and let's, say that, let's say that his face is in some ways partially covered, that he, he is there. He does a, you know, he has a paradigm for getting well. But is that paradigm really credible, you know, for him now? You know, isn't there, isn't there some, some, sort of, some sort of boundary or some sort of, 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 of uh, limit here that, yes, you know, the, you know, the, the meta-narrative is that he, he's expecting to, you know, be lucky one day. But, but, you know, 38 years, you know, that's... Yes. Unless he lived there, he must have had some hope to come there every day. Yeah, unless he lived there. So, you know, we don't know that. You know, did these people spend day and night at the place? You know, so did he have somebody to transport him, you know, to and fro, back and forth? But, well, did he? You know, one of the things you could preach a sermon on is... Is the first part of, the, or the second, or the first part of verse seven, sir? I have no one to put me into the pool. You could preach a sermon on that. You know, I have no one to put me into the pool. So number one, I have no one, and number two, the pool. That's the only venue, you know, for him. So there are two, two strictures here. It is that he has nobody who is, you know, quick, quick there to 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 throw him into the pool and. And the pool, you know, is a, is a fickle source of healing here because, you know, who knows, you know, when, when, if you would get it right and if you would, you know, be, be on target there. So this is an exceedingly capricious, uh, capricious prospect, as it were, for, for healing. So let's just imagine that our patient is in some ways, yes, healing, but you get cynical after a while, don't you? You get sort of, you know, used to not getting healed. Yeah, Harvey. I'm intrigued. How did Jesus know he had been there 38 years? Well, what's your suggestion? What do you think? Jesus has been talking to him. He's taken a history. And, and you think he had taken a history on an earlier occasion that he had con- kind of taken stock of this? The way they are described in the Gospel of John in the beginning here of the, the sort of selection of patients, they're all, they're blind, they're dried up. You know, there is a word that they, there is, they're, they're, this is a, this is a, a particularly, uh, 
what should I say, uh, a, a con collection of human misery, a concentration of human misery of a particular kind. So I think you could postulate that he had been there before. He knew very well what was going on around that pool. That, that was sort of his, his, you know, there are some people, and maybe you are one of them, I think you are one of them, who is in some ways attracted to a certain type of, of reality that, that, that brings out, you know, brings you out, calls you forth, and, and Jesus could, you know, could very well be that kind of person. Let's say more. You know, I find it difficult to accept that Jesus would just visit and leave. Okay. I, I just can't imagine that something hadn't changed each time he comes. Yeah, but he said, so, well, that's, that, that is challenging, and that could, that could certainly be the case. Uh, so, uh, the text says that Jesus saw him and knowing he had been, you know, almost as though he had known it from before, but, but it could be. So there is a, some sort of, uh, some sort of history take. I mean, how does Jesus get his attention? How does Jesus get his attention? You cannot do this in narrative time. I mean, in narrative time, Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? And, and, and then he answers, and then uh, Jesus, you know, that takes, how many seconds? That's 15 seconds, the actual conversation. There has to be some sort of, some sort of pauses in here. Yes, go ahead. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm curious about the backstory. I think somebody brought it up last week. It was a comment that was thrown out there, and I had that same question. And that is, um, it has to do with the fact that it's Sabbath, this guy's by the pool. And what if the guy, <clears throat> excuse me, what if the fellow would have slipped into the pool on Sabbath and healed himself, so to speak? Would he have been breaking the Sabbath? I'm kind of thinking that this guy has lived there. He doesn't have anybody to take him there. It would have been illegal for anybody to carry him on Sabbath. So I'm thinking this is a living situation. And when Jesus approaches him on Sabbath and says... Would you like to be made well? The guy's like, well, yeah, but he probably doesn't think it's going to happen right then because it is Sabbath. But I'm curious, okay. what is that? Okay. Now, you, you guys are doing all kinds of fancy hypotheticals here. And I'm not sure I'm going to join you on some of those. <laughs> let's, uh, let's have a comment from here. In this whole experience, I think Jesus had a higher purpose and that is healing on the Sabbath, because he expected to be challenged. Sure. I, th I think you have a point, and we, we need to, to pursue that in a, in a, in a minute. Now, let's, let's get, get it done here. Now we have, so, so you're agreeing that it must have been minutes. Maybe there was a history taking there, you know. We, we, we could, could, can't say, because you, you might have a point, Harvey might have a point, that Jesus would not have, have found out about it and not done something about it. But he could be strategizing a little bit. There could be, could be in some ways that he wants to do something and he wants to do it on the Sabbath. That's, you know, you could, you could make that case. So anyway, let's just say that this person is lying there. He has been lying there for 38 years and by now he is looking at nothing in particular. By now he is looking out into nowhere. You know, now, by now, you know, what should he be doing if, he, if the pool is his option? 
well, he should be see, sitting there on high alert. You know, he should be sitting there on high alert and, you know, waiting. Of course, he doesn't have anyone to throw him in. So maybe there is no reason to sit there on high alert. You know, maybe there has, this pool has been stirred up. Maybe somebody got him. And he was always, you know, a little bit too late. You know, that, that sort of thing. So, so he's probably not on high alert. He is probably sort of disconnected someone. He's just there. So it takes something for Jesus to get his attention. How does he get his attention? I mean, don't you think, don't you think at the moment when he heals him that there has first been eye contact? That he needs to connect. He needs to see something. Something that reignites hope. But because hope has in some ways sort of wilted here on the way. Don't you think so? So he has to get his attention. They have to see each other. You know, in, uh, in my paradigm, I do this in some of my classes, I roll up in a blanket with the face away, turned away. You know, because you, you, can, you can imagine if there are all kinds of reasons for just, you know, lying there. So, but he is not turned away exactly, but... But there is Jesus talking to this man. And maybe because he is looking at nothing in particular, because he's looking at, at nothing in particular, maybe Jesus stands there for a while before saying anything until he sort of gets the person's attention. I mean, somebody can stand in your presence for a while, you know, in, until you acknowledge that person. He moves into your, your sphere without words, and then you see him. He has, so maybe Jesus has been standing next to this man for some time till the man sort of opens up and looks, and he has his attention. They look at each other, and there is in some ways some sort of wireless connection here on the level of seeing each other, you know, contact, and then Jesus speaks. Yes. I I don't know that there there may or may not be all those things, but it's such an obvious question. Someone that's been coming there all the time that uh, uh, the fellow didn't answer his question. You know, he didn't say yes, I want to be healed. What was he looking for? Somebody to pick him up to carry him to the pool. So he didn't answer with what Christ asked him. You want to be healed? He's looking for something, someone to carry him to the pool when it happens. Well, you know, your hypothesis is as good as mine. You know, I actually think mine is better. Yeah. <laughs> but because but, but but he has something there on Christ being but the all, all my point is my point is just that that it seems to me you, you can make a case that actual time is longer than narrative time, that it must have been more than seconds. Because that, that that would just seem like almost like an assembly line type of encounter, and, and this is this is likely to have been more than that. Yes, please. Well, in uh, verse six, it says, "When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, it sounds like he either asked him, or else somebody told him that he'd been there a long time." It's, Learn that he had been. Well, that's the, the the problem about the word in Greek is the word gnos, 
which is a and it is a participle. So so you could say having learned or knowing. You know we don't exactly know when he learned that, but but there is a uh, there is a, some ambiguity there. Say more. Well, I was thinking that if for somebody who's been an invalid for thirty eight years. Somebody must have been caring for him, whether he was there to help him into the pool or not. And and if this person wasn't desperate, the caretaker would have been desperate after 38 years. <laughs> you're, help, you're helping us see a reality there, aren't you? So that that's good. Thank you. <clears throat> These people, what was the general populist attitude about them? That they were the chief of sinners. And I can't imagine there weren't righteous people who would do their missionary work by reminding them that they were sinners. And so my guess is that much of the conversation this man has had with anybody was that person telling him he's a sinner. And to have somebody with a different message has got to be beyond anything he could imagine. And so the question asked, would you like to be healed? You know, the guy's going to rub it into me again. He's going to say, well, if you weren't such a sinner, you'd have been healed. Mike, my, my proposition here is just to say that, that Jesus communicates with this man on more than one level, on more than word, more than the level of words. He communicates with this man on the level of presence. And in my paradigm, not to, uh, not to absolutize it, uh, he also communicates by some sort of empowering gaze some sort of eye contact that makes Jesus seem like a promising person to this man. You know, that is my, uh, but that is, uh, there, there could be other ways to reconstruct it. I just don't think he did it on an assembly line. Brad? I just want to say, in, just in practical world, when a physician is seeing a patient, um, you don't just, you might have a pretty good idea within the first few minutes what the treatment is for the patient, but if you just jump right to that, uh, patients are probably not that trusting, really, but if you've spent the time, you've listened, you take the history, you've done an examination, and the patient really feels, okay, this, this person put it together, I'm going to trust the remedy. That's very good, Brad. That is really helpful. That, that, that would fit, and, and the hypothesis, that there is some sort of a trust-building trust building, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, process here between them, yeah. Uh, well, you know, we will have to, to do, I think we've made our case that narrative time is, is too short, at least. And then you have to, I have not convinced John, but <clears throat> we'll do it later. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> okay, so we get to the point. Jesus says to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. Now it's time for you to act here. <laughs> Sorry to keep you wrapped up in the blanket for so long. So uh, you can, you can uh, just take the blanket and that can be your sort of signature statement. That will be your... your uh, so, so now what does he do? And once the man was made well and he took up his mat and... Wow. Wow. So how did he do it? Yes. <laughs> So, you know, it's been 38 years. You know, how does it feel to walk? <laughs> exactly. How does it feel? I mean, you try it. Oh, no. You know, then you... <laughs> he's really well. You know, he's made whole. Thank you very much. 
So, so anyway, we see something here, and and it is made conspicuous by the fact that he that he carries his his bed. You know, he carries his bed. In some ways, that that enhances the healing because you can sort of see where he has been coming from. You can sort of see his story uh, that way. So, and then, well, what is the important detail? Looking for details in this, uh, you know, looking for cruci- crucial details in the plot structure of this story. What's the detail one must not miss? One has to uh, see the math, you know. That, that, that is the important detail. And here we see it four times as we move through this story. Four times uh, in the instruction of Jesus, stand up, take your mat and walk. He took up his mat and began to walk. It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. And then finally, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. You know, that's, that's you know, it's conspicuous and, and a detail not to be missed in the story and essential to the plot structure. And then we get to the, you know, to the next or the sort of the hinge of the story. And what is the hinge of the story? It's mistranslated here in, in a way because I think it, should, it would be better even though it is a soft, the, the word in Greek is a very soft but. It is nevertheless a but. So I think it, is, it would be wise to translate it for the way this story comes across to the reader. It would be wise to translate it but. But it was. And then it is not using, it's true that the, uh, the a definite article. It doesn't say it was the Sabbath. But the way you talk about the Sabbath in a sort of giving the Sabbath a surname uh, would be without the article. So it should say now, uh, but that day was Sabbath. And it should be capitalized. The Sabbath should be capitalized. That would have been a better translation. But that day was Sabbath. So uh, <clears throat> so we have now. Is that important? Uh, so here uh, I have a couple of comments from uh, from people who have. This is a very competent, competent essay on the story by Karen Pidcock Lester, who says now that day was the Sabbath. So if we read farther, the text is no longer soaring aloft on wings of hope. By verse ten, it has plummeted to the ground with a decided thud. Well said, because you know it was. So nice to see you walking again. You know, so spectacular. Such a wonderful thing happens, you know, to you. And you can walk again. And now it isn't a good thing after all, because it was the Sabbath. Now that day was Sabbath. Uh, And here then there is a reversal in the story. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, it is the Sabbath. It is no longer, it is not lawful for you to carry your mat. You know, there is something wrong here. So what, what is it that catches the eye of these people? You know, well, they don't know better. Or maybe, you know, if Harvey is right, didn't you say that? That there had been people who had walked by there and told them the truth, tell them why they were there, you know, sort of given the etiological answer, you know, that was why, you know, so maybe some people knew him. You know, that people say that even though they know him. You know, it's not lawful to carry your mat. 
you know, that's, that's possible. Let's listen to some of the other comments here. Here is uh, <coughs> Joanne Brandt in, in her very excellent John commentary that I have just, just read through myself just now. It was published 2011. The timing of the event now stands at the center of the reversal. So make no mistake about the importance of the Sabbath to the plot structure, to the story, to what is, what is the problem here. That has been perceived by many uh, readers. And here is a, an, an, an older commentary on, on the Greek text. This is the point of the story for John in, five, in chapter 5 and also at 9.14 in the healing of the man born blind where Jesus healed the boy, man born blind. What is the point? The point is that it was done on the Sabbath. So we have many voices, many uh, good competent readers agreeing with us that the Sabbath is an extremely important thing and the mat. <laughs> the Sabbath and the mat. So uh, any comments here at this point because you might wish to, to weigh in here. Yes, let's have a comment here from John. It's just a question, who are the Jews? Yeah, that that is a very big that is a that is a very much debated question because the Jews, the Hoi Judaioi in, in in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John has been read by many as an anti Semitic gospel that is down on the Jews. That the, where the Jews are vilified as Jews for their ethnic, you know, character, and and books, many books have been written, and in post-Holocaust time, that, times that has taken on quite a. The, there has been a quite a, a scholarly uh, enterprise to identify hoi Udayoi in 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 the in the gospel, and most likely they are. I think most certainly they are not. Uh, this is not Jewish ethnicity that is indicted. Uh, it's probably uh, people, Jewish leaders, maybe the best, the best uh, theory. And anyway, I have written a little bit on that in, in, a, in a presentation I gave that has been published. I will, might share that with you later. But what Jesus indicts is not the Jews. It is a certain view. It is their views, not their ethnicity that is indicted you see so uh, so you can you can uh, uh, get that uh, that that problem could be diffused somewhat but it is a, it has been discussed uh, very much because there has been there has been lots and lots layers upon layer of of christian anti-semitism that is not in doubt the question is it does anti-semitism ha- does it have you know, is it fueled by, by the Bible, by Matthew 23, by John 8.44, texts like that, that where, there are, where Jesus speaks and he says, you are of your father, the devil. Somebody gave a presentation actually on, at SPL a couple of years ago. I'm looking at Ivan Blazin here. Uh, uh, and uh, showed how, how these Bible texts played out in in some uh, in some German textbooks for children in pre-war years, quite amazing. But you know that is was a time when these texts had been incubating in many in many contexts as anti, you know, anti-Semitic texts. So well, let's just be aware of that. Any other comments 
here so far. Let's move on then. So <clears throat> what could be alternative courses of action for Jesus if we were to advise him? Well, he could, he could have omitted the mat, couldn't he? I mean, Jesus could have healed the man and he could have taken away what, what is, is going to, to, uh, to uh, cause offense. You know, he could have healed the man and the man would have walked away and there would have been no mat in the picture and, and that would have, you know, could that have worked? It wouldn't have worked? Yeah, it would still be the Sabbath, but they wouldn't have known that the healing had taken place, or it would have, it would not have, it would not have flagged it. It would not have advertised it to the same extent, would it? Or he could have done what? Well, I'm going to whisper something in your ear, and then and you tell the audience what I whispered in your ear. I'll be back on Tuesday and heal you. <laughs> You find another time to do it. So you take away the mat, that would diffuse it somewhat, or you take away the day. You can do it some other day. You know, so what, what is emerging here is what? Deliberateness, intent. You know, that is, that is clearly, clearly coming out here, doesn't it? So, <clears throat> and we can't help but wonder, Pidcock Lester says, we can't help but wonder, why does Jesus heal this man on the Sabbath? Couldn't he have been more politic, more discreet? Why did he not wait just one more day, you know? Well, I could have said, you know, Tuesday or Sunday. <laughs> so, you see, I mean, what is it? You know, this is deliberate. So, Let's summarize what we have so far. It happens by intent and not by accident. It happens on the Sabbath by intent and not by accident. And the mat is part of the intent, the mat and the Sabbath. I think we might agree on these points. But So, any, so that Jesus is up to something on the Sabbath is, is, is clear. You know, he could be up to any number of things. Maybe he wants to dis, dislodge the Sabbath. Maybe he wants to, 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 uh, to sort of, uh, you know, go in some other direction. Maybe, as you say, he is wanting to, to recover the Sabbath, its original intent. Maybe he wants to do something else. You know, we, we, we just see that he is up to something on the Sabbath. And read on now. Let's read verses 10 to 13. Somebody read that, please. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. <clears throat> so we see here that the narrator knows, knows, this is typical of the Gospel of John, that the narrator, and maybe there is the beloved disciple sort of hiding or uh, you know, just barely concealed behind the narrator, that there is... The, John, the Jesus of John is an omniscient figure. He knows everything. And the narrator of the gospel also knows everything. You know, the people inside the story often do not know what is going on. But the narrator has, has, has a clear view. So he, the narrator tells us now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. Because, yes, the encounter may have taken a while, may have taken some minutes. But then 
Afterwards, the man walks away with his mat and Jesus disappears in the crowd. You know, that's it. You know, there is nothing more happening between the two of them. Verse 14 and 15, let's read that, the, these verses. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you, they made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse, worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So there they meet again, you know, and they recognize each other. They meet in the temple. And of course, this verse in 14 has intrigued all kinds of people. Is this verse teaching that this man was sick because of sin? You know, that's the, the way it has often been read. Then there is John chapter 9. Chapter 9 in John where there is a question about the connection between sin and suffering, sin and illness, where Jesus says there is no connection. There's not his sin. It's not his parents' sin, you know, that made him ill. So he's discounting a connection between sickness and, I mean, between sin and, and illness. Many people have read it as though there is a connection and that Jesus is telling him, well, don't do those sins again. But, but there are other hypotheses for how to read that, uh, that the sin in question might be something other than what we think. But I'm not going to get into that here. Uh, Joanne Brandt's commentary explores several, several possibilities there. Well, anyway, we have identified Jesus. Now the man knows who it was, and he goes and tells on Jesus, which wasn't very nice, you know, because he should have been know by know now that this is, that this, this is a problem, you know, that you make it easier for the people who are already sort of set against Jesus. Now they will know how to find him. He goes and tells them. Yes, please. Did you have a comment? I was just going to say I found it interesting that he felt compelled to go tell whoever this group was. So it must have been some people in authority. And I'm not so sure that he knew that um, they were uh, looking to make trouble. At least in this conversation, it doesn't indicate that they were after him. Well, they that's, that's, that, that I think is fair to say that you could make that. They, we don't know how they said it. They say initially, it's not allowed to carry your mat. It's the Sabbath. That's a negative. So, but we don't know how they said it. And then he answers. He, he feels that he has been ordered to do it pretty much. So he's just obeying orders. You know, the man who healed me, he told me to take the mat. Then they say, you know, maybe they said it in a very uh, sort of inauspicious way, you know, sort of non-threatening way. Who is it? And then he thinks, well, maybe they want to know because for a benign reason, you know, let's make it a benign reason. They want to know because, you know, we could do business with such a man in our midst, you know, it would be positive. You know, we know that, we know outside the story that it isn't positive. Uh, <laughs> any other comments here? Okay, so let's read on. Now, now to the really uh, sort of explanatory uh, parts of this chapter, to the main, main text, verse 16. Uh, somebody, Jesus has to defend. There is persecution, and now he will have to defend himself. Therefore the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. And read on. Jesus answered them, My father is still working. And I also. And read on. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his Father, thereby making himself equal to God. Well, now we have stuff to work with. Oh my! They throw a lot on our on our face here. So what do you have? Verse sixteen. 
this is the first time in the Gospel of John that there, this is what triggers persecution of Jesus. What Jesus did, this Sabbath healing, is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Then there is the explanation, Jesus' defense, which we will return to. And then we see in verse 18 that persecution is not just, you know, this is, this is capital offense. It's capital offense. You know, it is very serious because they are seeking all the more to kill him. So persecution here, since it says all the more, it probably means that what is on the table from the first moment here is, you know, the notion of a capital offense. So, you know, any comments on that? Harvey. Jesus was not satisfied with the man carrying the mat. He wanted to make sure that he knew it was Jesus, probably aware that he was going to go tell the leadership. I mean, Christ is stirring the fire. This is, this is deliberate. I think you're right. I think that's, that is inevitably true, what you're saying, because Jesus is not, you know, the, he knows what he's doing in the Gospel of John. That's just the texture of the Gospel of John, that there is Jesus will not say, oops, you know, I blew, I blew it. I shouldn't have done it. You know, that kind of thing. You do not have that in the Gospel of John. Can I tell you a story about just a digression about capital punishment? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have capital punishment in this country. And, and, uh, anyway, let's not discuss that. <laughs> I came to Loma Linda many years ago. I was very poor. Uh, and uh, I lived with a friend of mine who is now a cardiologist. He is also from Norway. And we, we, we lived together. We shared an apartment here on Star Street. Our, the monthly rent was $75. So he paid $37.50. He's very tall. So he he got he lived in the bedroom and I lived in the kitchen because I'm shorter than him, and and the place leaked. It was quite a you know basic primitive place, but it was affordable for us, and we ate a lot of peanut butter. We ate we bought peanut butter by by the gallon, and it took us about two weeks to eat through a gallon of peanut butter. <laughs> uh, anyway, one day I was borrowing his motorcycle to get my laundry done down on, on Anderson, and I, I, I drove over the bridge, over the railroad bridge there, and, and I was too fast on the motorcycle, so I was caught speeding. I think I went, I was going 55. And they sent me, and, they, and this was a, this was a, you know, they didn't just give me, give me the fine, they gave me an, an appointment in court. So I got to, to I had to go to court in uh, in the court the court there was a court building here next to where the uh, there on Anderson where the there is a hairdresser now <laughs> and uh, that, that, I think that was there in those days too. So I came to court and I didn't know that you were supposed to say your honor and stuff like that. <clears throat> but anyway, the judge he called me up and I stood up there and and uh, and he said that my fine was forty nine dollars. So and I was very poor. That was a real real blow. <laughs> so knowing that you had other remedial options in this country, I just blurted out. I didn't say your honor. I said to him, "You might as well give me capital punishment." <laughs> <laughs> So, so he said, 
let's make it $22. What's <laughs> better? Anyway, there is capital punishment for Jesus in the Gospel of John. You know, here he is, and already this, this has certainly triggered a deep, you know, this is seen as an extremely serious offense, you know, whatever. You know, sometimes, just like the story of Cain in the Old Testament, when Cain first starts thinking resentfully about his brother, we should not think that he thought he would kill him. You know, one might harbor sentiments initially that might seem innocent. And then those sentiments incubating over time becomes, becomes, you know, uh, ripens to become, you know, murder. It could be that there is a sort of suggestion of that here. They don't know here that they are going to do what verse 18 says, that they thought they were seeking all the more to kill him. And there is actually a discussion in the Gospel of John, several places, where, where, where Jesus says to them, you are planning to kill me. And they say, we have no such plan. But, you know, he thinks that there is something in the works here that will lead to, to that. Let's just look a little bit broadly here. In chapter 7, <clears throat> just to see the plot structure of John here. In, in chapter 7, verse 1, you have a repetition of 5.18. You know, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. But it is the same, exact same wording in 7.1 that you have in 5.18. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that what happens in chapter 5 carries on and in some ways dominates chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Let's read that. Jesus answered them, I performed one work, and all of you are astonished. Moses gave you circumcision. It is, of course, not for Moses, but for the patriarchs. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath? I performed one work. I performed one work. What was it, the one work? It was the healing of the paralytic. You know, so what is it that is focused? What is still, what is it that is the contentious, you know, uh, event, the contentious reality, or the reality about which they are contending? It is Jesus healing that man on the Sabbath. What I'm saying is, you know, it isn't, doesn't end in chapter 5. It continues in chapter 7. And the same sort of focus. Now here in chapter 10, I'll read this. In chapter 10, this is after the second Sabbath healing. And, and you can see then how it carries on. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What is the story opening the eyes of the blind? That's the second Sabbath healing. So there is still discussion about the Sabbath healings in John, widely diffused and extremely central to the plot of the book. Jesus replied later in that discussion, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? No. So this is, and this is a very subtle answer, and we will not discuss it now, but just listen to the answer. They have decided to take 
the good works of the of the table here they have decided to make to make his claims his words and not his works the problem the jews answered it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you but for blasphemy because you though only a human being are making yourself god so let's go back then to john chapter 5 and see what jesus is saying because the, the words then are ultimately what will incriminate him will be his words. The Jews are initially also reacting to his works, but later mostly to his works, uh, to his words. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am also working. And then later, verse 19, um, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever else the Father does, the Son does likewise. So what is Jesus claiming here, at the very least? At the very least. At the very least, he is claiming to be imitating God. You know, my, what is the Father doing? Well, he is working. And I am also working. And explaining that on the level of imitation, there is more than imitation here, but at the very least there is imitation. The son can do nothing of his own, but only what he sees the father doing. And if the father had passed by the paralytic on the, you know, the thing, it is as though the father passes by. And the father talks to the man who has been there for 38 years. And the son was just doing it because that's what the father is doing. You see, there is at the very least imitation of God in this story. There is more, but there is certainly that. Now, let's look at Sabbath text in the Old Testament in the time that remains and, and just compute our findings. Uh, and then we will have to try to come up with solutions next time. Let's read Genesis 2.2. And two, three. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day all of the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all of the work that he had done. This is the foundational Sabbath text in the Old Testament. There, this is the introductory text for the Sabbath uh, uh, and in, in it, the Sabbath and creation giving the Sabbath a lot of prestige, of course, because it is, uh, it is associated with creation. Let's do Exodus. Uh, the next time uh, the Sabbath is, is highlighted in the, in the Old Testament in the Torah. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, the rest of the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So let's look at the Sabbath verbs here then. I should give you this as an exercise. I should have left it blank. Uh, don't look at your handouts. The Sabbath verb, the Sabbath verb in John, in John chapter 5 is what? My father is working. And I am also working. And in uh, the Sabbath verbs... Or verb in the Old Testament is what? That God rested. 
that is repeated four times at least in the texts here, and, and we have uh, more, uh, more of the same in chapter 9 here, but we will do that eventually. So would you agree that, we c- that it adds up like this, that the Sabbath verbs in John, my father is working and I am also working. And by the way, the notion that God finished the work and rested, that's Genesis. But John, my father is working until now. You know, he has not finished his work. So he is not, he's working and he hasn't finished. My father is working until now and I am also working. And here God rested on the seventh day. God rested from all the work. The Lord rested on the seventh day. On the seventh day he rested. So the verbal element on Sabbath theology in the, in the Old Testament is in the, in the Torah is, is surely, surely rest. And the verbal element so far in the Gospel of John is certainly not rest. It is, you know, my father is working. So uh, I'm not going to let you comment on this because I'll just ask some questions at the end here and, and then we will have to... You, you can have some comments. There are a few minutes left. Uh, <clears throat> my questions are, like the, are these. Does the rest of God in the Torah and the work of Jesus in John expose a conflict in the very heart of the Sabbath. The verbal elements are certainly seem to be, you know, in some ways polar opposites. God rested. God finished. My father is working until now. Those are the elements. Could the rest of God in the Torah and the work of Jesus in John signify something other than a contradiction? This is a uh, this is homework. You're going to do some homework. I hope you will do homework. You see what we are going to be discussing next time. We're not going to go straight to, to answering these questions next time. I want to do the story in John nine first, and then then we would return to see because at least on the face of it, let's say that there could the, on the face of it there could seem like there is a contradiction on the face of it, and. Whatever we make of it, however we solve that that problem, it seems to me that the, the John message of the Sabbath, whatever we make of it, the John message of the Sabbath is underexposed, underdeveloped in Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath theology.